The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. Think about the suffering you've experienced today, even just one day. The restlessness and the anxiety and the fear and the struggle, the sense of struggle and self-judgment and impatience and wanting things that aren't happening and wishing other things weren't happening. And these are just minor unhappinesses all because of some visitors to the mind. So I might ask you, do you believe what the Buddha said? It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer? Because if we do, if we believe that, then we're going to want to know, well, what are these defilements? And uh, how bad can they get? And is there any way of working with them? And so what if I do? What's the benefit? Tonight I want to speak about the defilements. And I use that word intentionally. It has kind of an Old Testament kind of badness feel. And I don't want to kind of soft pedal these visitors to the mind, you know, and just call them, oh, there are some hindrances to your practice. They are but they're bad. <laughs> I'll get to that part later. But I want to grab your attention. I want, to, I want to help you to see what it is we're up against in this journey of awakening. Because there is a gradient of defilements, some are much more painful than others or cause more suffering or are more tenacious in the mind. Because there is a gradient of defilements that appear in the mind, the Buddha offered the Eightfold Path, which is essentially three trainings for addressing, arresting, and overcoming, uprooting the defilements. Our path of practice here is to come to know the defilements so well that we recognize them, we recognize the conditions that give rise to them, and we have the tools for working with them. Eventually, the Buddha promises, it is possible to uproot the defilements from the mind. But first we need to understand them and be willing to engage them and work with them in our practice. So let's be clear. What are the defilements? In short, we could say there are any actions, feelings, thoughts, beliefs, moods that are rooted in attachment, aversion, or delusion. The interesting thing about the defilements is that they are always fueled by restlessness. 
Restlessness is experienced as the wandering mind. When the mind wanders, you can be sure it's wandering in fields of defilement. <laughs> and maybe more damaging than the restlessness, which is unconscious thinking, thinking that we're just not aware of. But maybe more damaging than that is that the defilements are always accompanied by delusion. Now, delusion has a couple of flavors. There's the ignorance and there's delusion. Ignorance is avijja. It's not knowing. It is the not knowing of, well, the mind when it wanders, for example. When the mind wanders and we're lost in thought, we don't know that we're thinking. We don't know what we're feeling. We don't know whether we like it or not. We don't know that we're sitting. We don't know whether we're standing. We don't know anything about it. That's how, well, ignorant we are of what is actually going on in the present moment. This ignorance or avijja appears as a confusion, a dullness, and maybe most sneakily, sneakily, as enchantment. It's as if we get enchanted by the thoughts and the images and the fantasies in the mind and we just lose it in some fantasy land. So there's avijja or ignorance of not knowing. There's also moha or delusion of knowing wrongly. This is apparent when we feel bewildered or confused or perplexed or when we believe wrongly about the way things are. For example, when greed, some form of attachment, some form of desire arises. The delusion that accompanies it causes the mind to see only the pleasant aspect of what is being observed. That's what delusion can do. It can cause the mind to see only the pleasant aspect of something. And our habitual reaction to pleasantness is to get attached, to long for it, to want it, to indulge it, to get identified with it, to want more of it. Delusion also operates with aversion when aversion arises in the mind. The delusion that accompanies it causes the mind to see only the unpleasant aspect of what is being observed. There may be a pleasant aspect to it, but because of the aversion in the mind, it's not seen. The habitual reaction and the reactivity of the mind, the unaware, unliberated mind, is to fall into aversion towards unpleasant experience. We can see what we're up against. 
when delusion or ignorance, aversion, I mean, uh, delusion or uh, ignorance arises in the mind, we don't know what we're seeing and we can't believe what we believe about it. In general, we could say that the defilements are so habituated in the mind, they arise so frequently that we no longer see them. We take them for granted. We're so familiar with them, they have become us. We have become them. In fact, your personality, each one of us, has a personality that is maybe most expressed by the defilements that we least see. And if you don't know what your personality is, ask your partner. <laughs> they have a good view. We identify with the defilements when we say, I'm so angry at you. I'm so upset with that situation. We get identified with them as who I am. We also claim them, appropriate them as my personal baggage. You know, it's my fear. It's my anxiety. It's my impatience. And we all have these, this, these ways of relating to the defilements. We don't see them without training as impersonal forces that visit the mind. Mostly they feel more real, more tangible, more me than that. Because they arise, they obstruct living life fully. They limit how much of the human experience we are willing and able to access. For example, when we fear to undertake new experience because it's challenging. And we've all, we've all experienced that. But fear is a visitor to the mind. It's a defilement. And because of it, we proscribe our opportunities and we live in a very narrow range of what it is possible to experience as a human being. The defilements also hinder our progress in our meditation practice that is moving towards liberating the mind. It slows us down because when doubt appears in the mind, we doubt ourselves, we doubt the practice, we doubt the Buddha, we doubt our teachers. But doubt is another one of those impersonal visitors to the mind that seems so real and so me when it appears that we get entangled in it. The defilements prevent us from finding the liberation that's possible and the peace 
in freedom that comes with it. But the defilements are not a mistake. They don't arise for no good reason. They are part of the Dharma, the way things are. They arise as every other momentary experience arises due to causes and conditions. They are a natural phenomena. They're not a mistake. They're not random. They're not chaotic. They're very understandable. And that's our practice, is to so carefully observe the defilements as and how and when they arise that we come to understand them so that we can see them before they get a, a strong toehold in the before they move in. So we can just say, you're only visiting today. You're not taking over. George Mumford, a colleague and a friend of ours who is who happens to be the mindfulness trainer for the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers under Phil Jackson, he says, you know, when you're not mindful, you're giving the defilements free rent in your mind. Free rent. Hearing about the defilements, what they are, the range of them, is important so that we'll begin to recognize them in our practice. Unfortunately, this is the, the job of Dharma guides and Dharma teachers, is to point to the closet. And all that we've been stuffing in the closet of our minds, in the attics of our minds, where we don't shine any light of wisdom or understanding. But it's our responsibility to kind of open the closet door and let the skeletons out so that we can deal with them. But we should understand first, what's the danger of the defilements? How bad can they be? I mentioned that they're bad. Well, how bad? They're bad in this way. Because they're an unwholesome state of mind, when we don't see them, we act them out, and that's karma. When we act karmically in an unskillful way, the result will be experienced as unpleasantness. The unpleasantness that we feel in the body, in the mind, is the karmic result of unwholesome actions. Actions fueled and rooted, fueled by and rooted in one of the defilements. Well, I find unpleasantness really unpleasant. It's not fun. I would really like to be free of the unpleasantness. And so what I'm suggesting to myself is that I need to understand, I need to see and learn about the defilements so that I'm not planting more seeds of unpleasantness to be experienced in my future. When we're lost in restlessness that accompanies 
all of the defilements. When we're lost in that restlessness, the very definition of it is that there's no awareness of it. But isn't it amazing how we can sit down with a very sincere intention to notice what is going on in the mind. And that intention doesn't last 10 seconds. And we forget. And the mind wanders off and we don't notice it. Awareness is lost. And yet, as I mentioned earlier today, the mind can wander restlessly from thought to thought to thought to thought. A chain of thought that has no connection to one another, one thought to another, and has often very little connection to the rest of your life. We can wander in that enchanted dream-like state for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, sometimes even longer than that. For hours, days, we can not emerge from the fantasy world of our mind. This is bondage. This is being enslaved by the mind, the habits of the mind. And even though we plant the seed of our intention to be aware, intention and effort in this moment is not always strong enough to overcome the habit of delusion and restlessness. But what we're doing here is in every moment of planting the seed, the intention of trying to be mindful, we are addressing the habit. We are doing all we can actually in that moment to plant wholesome seeds that will also sprout to remind us when we're lost in thought. Did you ever ask yourself why when you're lost in thought you ever come out of it? Why, 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 do, you, why do you stop? What happens? But suddenly, we all know, we've all had this experience, you're back, the dream is over, and here you are back in this reality. What happened? We didn't have the intention to stop the daydream. We didn't say, okay, enough is enough, stop now. It's as if one of the seeds that we planted last retreat or earlier today came to our rescue and saved us from, it sprouted and it said, okay, be mindful, and mindfulness happened. If that's the way it works, we should plant all the seeds we can of being mindful, even if at the moment of planting, they don't sprout. They will sometime and save us from some endless wandering in la-la land. Because defilements 
enchant the mind, casting a spell of dreamlike reality. It is just like a lifelong hallucination. Because even in a split second, we can create a whole life for ourselves, jump into it, live it out, suffer, enjoy, struggle, and it all takes just a split second and it's over. Mindful awareness is like a searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion, looking for a way through this fog, this hallucination, this delusion that we so easily get entangled in. There is a gradient of defilements. Now, we should be clear that defilements are a mental phenomena, but they can condition strong experience in the body, for example. When you're angry or when anger arises in the mind, we know what that feels like. You know, the shoulders get tense, stomach gets tight, the heart starts racing, the fists clench, we get hot, we may tremble, we're so angry. This physical response is conditioned by the mind. On the other hand, a wholesome state of mind, or I should say a pleasant defilement, attachment, when you really fall in love and it's attachment love, not meta love, attachment love, and wow, that person, all you can see is the goodness of them. Hey, hey. And man, the body is so light and so energized and so pleasant, conditioned by attachment in the mind. So we want to be clear that when we're working with the defilements, we're really working with their manifestation in the body and their rootedness in the mind. Hmm? A corollary to that is we should be careful not to interpret all tightness in the body as aversion or anger. Not to, not to interpret it in reverse. But if you see it in the mind, if you see the defilement in the mind, then you can often recognize the pattern that it conditions in the body. When defilements or any defilement is particularly strong and we are particularly unaware of it, we say it is a transgressive defilement because there's no knowledge of it, there's no awareness of it, there's no understanding of it, and we act it out blindly. We speak and we act our aversion, our desire, our pride, our judgment, our fear, our anxiety. We just act it out. Often it causes us a lot of suffering, and that blind acting out often causes other people suffering. To get a handle on it, the Buddha offered the first training of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is sila, living in harmony with one another by 
being mindfully aware of the intention that arises in your mind to speak and the intention that arises in your mind when you're about to act. If you can notice with mindful awareness the intention before you speak or act, you'll recognize whether the mind is defiled and it's an unskillful thing to do, or the mind is wholesome and it is a skillful thing to do. But even that is a mindfulness practice because we're watching the mind in order to know how to act in a skillful way and how not to act or get caught in an unskillful state of mind. This is the first line of defense, we could say, uh, against the defilements. Because when the defilements arise and we act them out, they are particularly dangerous because we don't know they're a defilement. We don't know this is an unwholesome state of mind. We act it out with reckless abandon, no second thoughts, a lot of energy, frequently, often with a lot of joy. The karmic result is really intense, really intense. So sila, or living in harmony, is the practice of paying careful attention. And when noticing a defilement in the mind, exercising restraint in speaking and acting. Nevertheless, even if we're able to exercise the restraint and not act out the defilement, our mind can still be obsessed. Mostly, for the most part, nobody's been bothering each other here today. You're all keeping the precepts pretty good. Noble silence is pretty good. You're not acting out what's going on in your mind. Thank you. But the mind, still not a happy camper. And no doubt, probably most of you experience some distress with what's going on in the mind today. Even though the mindfulness is good enough not to act it out, the understanding is not yet good enough to remove it from the mind. So the Buddha offered a second training of the Noble Eightfold Path, which is mindfulness. Mindfulness when developed with some degree of continuity, some level of continuity, develops what's called samadhi or tranquility, collectedness of mind, stability of mind. By being mindful, we can keep temporarily the hindrances at bay. We can see them. We can see them and recognize them and not get obsessed with them. Nevertheless, we're not always on retreat. We can't always have the very supportive conditions of encouragement to be continuously mindful. And even on retreat, it's difficult. So there are times in our life, even though we recognize that some states of mind are unskillful, and we have had the experience of keeping them at bay on retreat, there are other times in our life where they, they just come up, they just arise. And so the Buddha offered the third training of the Noble Eightfold Path,
which is the development of understanding, the development of insight knowledge. Why? When experience is not noticed, when we're just acting in the world and we're just going on in our life and we're not taking note of what is being experienced, we're not noticing it, that experience goes into the stream of the mind carrying the potential of a defilement because it wasn't noticed. And so we could say every unnoticed experience carries the seed of defilement into the mind. And once it's in there, it's just waiting for conditions to sprout. And the conditions come when we're not paying attention, when we're not being careful, when we're not being mindful. So it's incumbent upon us to practice the third training, insight, which we're doing here, as a way to begin to see each moment's experience as it happens so that the latent defilements or the latent seed potential of defilement does not enter the mind. Because once the experience goes into the mind, it's stored in the mind, it's stored in the memory as you took it in. And if you took it in in a deluded way, that delusion is still there, lying dormant until it gets activated and accompanies a defilement. This is dangerous. I, I really hesitate to ask you to consider how many experiences have gone into the mind unnoticed. They're still there. The potential is still there. We can dredge up all kinds of memories of things that have gone down and have a wrong understanding about them and just a whole proliferation of defilements come in the wake of careless remembering. Okay, enough of the badness. How are we going to work with these things? It's evident, it's clear, there's some unpleasantness associated with the defilement. So how can we work with them? The first is, the first step is getting some information about the defilements, even having them pointed out what the defilements are. Now, I've seen a list online, 108 defilements, if only there were only 108. The grandfather of our tradition of practice in Burma says that in the text, the sutras and the commentaries and sub-commentaries, there are more than a thousand listed. But, you know, let's not get overwhelmed with a thousand. A hundred is enough. But actually, there's only one. As Deborah mentioned last night, it's all one. And that's delusion. If you see delusion, you'll see all the defilements. If you practice awareness, you'll, you'll be addressing all of them. So we don't need to go looking for them. We don't need to create our list, our things to be experienced or things to be avoided list. 
just one delusion. So knowing the varieties so that we can begin to recognize them in our practice. We recognize them because we're practicing awareness. We're practicing recognizing what is actually happening. Now, even with the best of intentions, as you notice, it's difficult to recognize wandering mind. It's difficult to recognize all the defilements, even though we know about them. I'm sure you've all had the experience that I'm familiar with of getting caught in your own impatience, getting caught in your own irritation, getting caught in your own anger, getting caught in your own longing, and not recognizing it when it's happening until you've acted it out or until it's been pointed out to you by someone or until it so tortures you that you recognize it. First retreat, first three-month retreat that I was on here in back there a ways, I sat up there <laughs> and I remember the first couple of weeks went fine and then I entered what I call the six-week sleep. For six weeks, I was struggling with sloth and torpor. Now, I know this sounds peculiar, but I didn't recognize it. I, I was struggling with it. I was trying to kind of overcome it, get rid of it, you know, deal with it. But I can't actually remember of just acknowledging it as, oh, this, well, this is just sloth and torpor. It was something to get rid of rather than to deal with. I could have written a book about sloth and torpor at the time. I probably should have. <laughs> but because we are so familiar and so habituated to the defilements, it's difficult to see them. But with some knowledge of the defilements and with the practice of awareness, we can come out of denial. We can come out of delusion where we are just uh, minimizing them and the significance of them. Naming them helps. Naming or labeling or noting the experience uh, clearly identifies what it is that has called your attention out of this whole package of stuff that's happening. You know, there's a lot happening. There's things happening in the body, things happening in the mind, things happening in the environment, and it's all coming at you at once. And one of them is a defilement. Some of them are sensations, some of them are thoughts, some of them are this, some of them are that, sounds, sights, smells, all kinds of things coming at you, and some of them are defilements. Mindfulness it can identify and perception can recognize what is the defilement. Naming it helps kind of isolate that particular pixel of the present moment as, oh, this is the defilement. Aversion being known. Attachment being known. Impatience being known. When we could put a name on our experience, it gives us a little bit of space in the mind. It's not so much, I'm angry, I'm impatient, I'm upset. 
we see, oh, upsetness is being known, anger is being known, and it's that space of mind which offers a glimpse of relief. We begin to see, oh, that is a very different experience than being lost in it. Being angry, thinking about your anger, and being mindfully aware of anger, three completely different experiences. Being anxious, thinking about your anxiety, and being mindfully aware of anxiety, three very different experiences. What we're doing here is cultivating the awareness of this naturally arising activity of mind. The tendency in our habit is to be lost in them, to be identified with them, to, to be uh, kind of in possession of them, or maybe I should say possessed by them. And so that's the habit of mind. The, the mind's habit is to indulge in them without awareness. What practice asks us to do is to identify them and to step back. Recognize, oh, that's what's being known. That state of mind is what's being known in this moment. As long as you are able to recognize and be aware, or mindfully aware of the defilements, you're not fully caught in it. This is the beginning of freedom. You know, you might be lost in it for a while, mindful of it for a moment, lost in it again, mindful for a moment. But this is the beginning of the end of that defilement the grip that that defilement has on the mind. When we recognize, or when we first begin to recognize any of the defilements, there is a tendency to judge ourselves, to say, oh, geez, here I am, impatient again, angry again, anxious again, fearful again, whatever. But actually, the second step in working with the defilements is to relax. Relax. That relaxation is possible when we accept this is the way it is for now. This is the way it is for now. This defilement has arisen in the mind. Okay, relax. We're not just trying to get rid of it. I know we'd like to just get rid of it. But in just getting rid of it, that's often done with another defilement of aversion. So how can we approach the defiled state of mind without another defilement? Relax. Accept, or I should say, acknowledge this is the way it is. But add the little kicker for now. Because like every other experience we've ever experienced or ever will, this defilement is also impermanent. But for now, it has arisen due to conditions. Can we relax, acknowledge it, and then work with it? One of our teachers, Saito Tejaniya, says, the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. Well, it's clear. The mind does all kinds of things that we'd rather not be responsible for. You know, it's thinking all kinds of thoughts that, well, we can't even keep out. But once they have arisen in the mind, then we've got to deal with it. Then we've got to deal with it. If we don't deal with it, we will act them out. 
causing ourselves and others more distress. So while we may not be able to control the mind in that way, we are responsible for what we do with it once it has arisen in the mind. We also want to be careful in this first initial tasting of the defilement to not struggle with them. Again, Sadhu Tejaniya says, you know, it's perfectly natural to become sleepy. If you feel bad about sleepiness, it means that you have aversion towards it and you'll try to resist it. This is a wrong attitude. Simply recognize and accept sleepiness. As long as you observe it with the right attitude, then you're meditating effectively. Uh-huh. Thank you. Okay. I don't have to get rid of it. I just have to be observing it as best I can with awareness. We can also relax when we recall that the defilements arise due to conditions. What are those conditions? Part of our observation of any of the defilements or any of the states of mind that are defiled is to begin to understand what are the conditions that give rise to this state of mind. So rather than trying to get rid of the result, we're looking at the causes that condition that result. One of the causes, one of the conditions for all defilements is a wrong attitude. Another is weak energy. A third is um, unskillful intention. So we can begin to pay attention to our attitude, and maybe this is the most available or the most accessible. What's our attitude towards these states of mind? If, there's, if you judge them, if you own them, if you claim them, if you're identified with them, if you think they're um, your fault, so to speak, wrong attitude. These things have arisen due to causes and conditions. Understand that except they have, when they have arisen, right attitude. Be willing to work with them rather than just try to get rid of them. The sleepiness is not the problem. Wanting to get rid of it is. There's a big difference between wanting to get rid of a defilement, which is an unwholesome state of mind, and having the wholesome intention to be aware of it. You see the difference? To have the wholesome intention to be aware of the defilement is wholesome. And in observing it, we come to know it more clearly. To have the attitude of, this is a problem, and we just try to get rid of it, is compounding and building more defilements, planting more seeds of defilement in the mind. So we recognize the defilements. We relax and accept or acknowledge the defilement. If necessary, we exercise restraint. We want to be careful not to act it out physically or verbally. 
Sometimes the defilements can arise very aggressively and we may fear that we're going to act them out. So one antidote, one way of exercising restraint, you know, it's all taking place in the mind, right? Open your eyes. Sometimes it's amazing. The story that's happening behind the eyelids is so compelling and so obsessive and so upsetting that we can't handle it. And yet, when we open our eyes and just check in with, oh, I'm just sitting here, huh? It's like the whole story evaporates. Skillful. Skillful exercise of restraint. It's a technique for cutting off the obsessing that could condition action. Another way of exercising some restraint is was taught to you yesterday and this afternoon. Sometimes when you're lost in aversion, being overwhelmed with aversion, it is skillful to practice loving kindness. Get some relief. If you're being overwhelmed with aversion, you're getting lost in it, you're getting entangled in it, and the mind is just stirring up anger, irritation, impatience, you know, self-judgment, fear, any of the aversive states of mind, and you can't be mindful of it, that's the time to replace that object with loving-kindness. Or if you're experiencing a lot of doubt, you can recall stories that inspire you with a lot of confidence. Or if you're feeling blamed or you feel like blaming others, you might practice forgiveness as a way of temporarily putting aside a very aggressive defilement. Another way of exercising restraint is just to avoid the situations which provoke that state of mind. You know, those who are in AA have learned you don't hang out with friends in bars. And I can't remember the name of the poet that I listened to or heard on Terry Gross on NPR one day saying, reading one of her poems, the line which stuck out to me was, she said, your mind is a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go there alone. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what that means is if you're going to go rummaging around in the attics and the cellars and the closets of your mind, take your awareness with you. Don't go there without full knowledge and awareness of what you're doing. Avoid it if you don't have that armor of awareness with you. After recognizing the defilement and relaxing, accepting, acknowledging it, exercising restraint if necessary, it may be helpful to reframe your understanding. And when I say to reframe your understanding, remember, the defilement is a natural activity of the mind. It's not a mistake. You aren't being kind of picked on. It has arisen due to conditions. It is the lawful result of given conditions. 
But because it is deeply conditioned and has arisen so frequently unimpeded by awareness, we have to be patient. We really need to be patient with the habits of our mind. We've been cultivating these habits for, well, in my case, 60 years, some of them. I've been working to arrest them for 30-some years. They still have a foothold in the mind. So I need to be patient. But because they're just a visitor to the mind, we also need to be persistent in recognizing them, in working with them, in taking note of them, noticing them, understanding how they arise, and how they leave the mind. Because it's this understanding, or these understandings, that is going to ultimately free us from the defilement. The wandering mind is not a problem, Saito Utejaniya says. Hmm. It's your attitude that it should not be wandering that's the problem. Hmm. Well, I just said that the wandering mind is the problem. It's restlessness. If we see it, not a problem. If we have an attitude that there's something wrong there, that attitude is another problem. Okay. So let's look at the attitude that we have towards any of the defilements. If we understand that they're arisen due to conditions, deeply habituated in the mind, that they are impermanent, where we can be encouraged to be persistent in noticing them and not kind of caving into them, even though they feel so strong and sometimes we feel overwhelmed or about to be. But as long as you're not yet overwhelmed, have the courage. Have the courage. See if you can find the courage to just feel what this feels like. Because it's awareness that grokks the unique flavor of the defilement. Because we've run from it, we've avoided it, we've denied it, we've minimized it, we haven't yet really tasted it. Mindfulness asks us to really open up and taste the experience of the defilement. I'll give you a clue. It's not going to be pleasant, which is why we've mostly avoided it as much as possible. Defilements in the mind are unpleasant. So when we open to experience them with full awareness, we are willingly accepting the challenge of being uncomfortable and aware of it. Hmm. Sayadaw says something really interesting. He says, do I have it here? <laughs> Yogis make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experience rather than being willing and trying to work with the defilements. Isn't that true? 
None of us probably came to this retreat thinking, okay, nine days working with the defilements, okay. <laughs> you know, somehow we come here thinking, hey, I'm gonna sit down, it's gonna be all nice, bliss, peace, calm, yeah, wonderful. And sometimes it is, and that's good. But as he says, we often have the mistaken hope that it's all gonna be good, and rather than coming with a, a commitment to ourselves that we're really going to engage the defilements in order to learn about them. It is awareness that receives the flavor of the defilement. And they have their own unique taste. You know, fear feels different than anxiety. Anxiety and depression are very different. Depression and impatience are different. Each defilement has its own flavor. And even as we say these, the names of the defilements, we get a glimpse of just how unpleasant it can be to open to and really feel fear. It takes a lot of courage, not just to face the object of your fear, but the fear itself. Not just to face the mm, object of your anxiety, but the anxiety itself. Not to face the, just the object of your impatience, but the feeling of impatience itself. You can see they're, they're, they're not pleasant. But if you ask yourself, can I be with this? And it's an important question. If you understand that your ability to be with it is the key to freedom from it. Are you willing to try to be with it? Mostly, we can be. We often forget to ask ourselves, though. So when you feel yourself caught in the defilement, or you see that the mind is entangled in some defilement, ask yourself, do you recognize what it is? Put a name on it. And then ask yourself, am I willing to feel this with full awareness? Because imagine, you know, some people are afraid of public speaking, some are afraid of the dark, some are afraid of snakes, some are afraid of being embarrassed, some are afraid of being humiliated. I mean, we all have a lot of fears. But the feeling of fear in each case is the same. The object of fear may be different. Now imagine that you were able to steady the mind in the face of fear and allow yourself to let fear wash over you or to go into it or to be fully aware of it, to taste fear. And you see what happens to it. It comes to an end. Every one of these defilements comes to an end. And if we can hold our attention, if we can steady our attention, and to allow ourselves to feel it knowingly until it comes to an end, we have trained the mind in a new way of responding to a fearful situation. 
every fearful situation. And if we can repeat that a few more times, that groove in the mind gets stronger. And the old habit of shutting down, contracting, pushing away, turning away from, gets weaker. The mind is plastic. The mind can be reworked. But it's reworked through our mindfulness practice, our willingness to open to a new way of relating to very familiar stuff. And in doing that, we learn a new way. And we weaken the old, unskillful, habituated way of not dealing so skillfully. This is the path. This is the path of liberation. This is what we're doing here. Use the appearance of the defilements as an opportunity to investigate their nature. They are natural phenomena. They're not your defilement. Everyone experiences them. But it's up to each one of us to steady the attention, to ask ourselves to have the courage to feel this knowingly, whatever discomfort it is, knowingly, and to recognize it in order to blaze a new path in the mind for dealing with the state of mind. And we can do it. This is a safe place. There's no one here to harm you. There's no conditions here that's going to uh, impose on you. It's just our own sense of ourself that we have to confront. Our own limited sense of ourself, our self-imposed limits that causes us so much suffering. And we can do it. You've all seen the need you know, we've all seen the possibility within our own minds to step back from suffering through understanding and to find a new way through awareness. It's not because we're thinking about it. It's not because we're figuring it out. It's because we have the, the awareness that can feel knowingly into and through these experiences that cause so much suffering. Well, all our suffering. In order to understand the defilements, you have to watch them again and again. And what can you gain just from having good experiences all the time? If you understand the nature of the defilements, you'll see that they dissolve. And once you're able to handle the defilements, good experiences will naturally follow. This is the way, Sayadaw Tejaniya says. Remember, it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. It's through understanding the conditions that give rise to them, being able to recognize them, how they manifest in your own mind and body, and having the courage and the willingness to understand them from your own uh, personal experience 
that frees the mind from being entangled in the defilements. And we can do it. We can do it. Very gently, very gradually. It's not uh, a roughhouse path. It's a very gradual, incremental path to uh, work with the defilements. And this is what we're doing here. And all of you will see over the course of the time that you spend here, slowly but surely, you begin to recognize more of the defilements, more of, more of the time. You begin to have a little more confidence in working with them and actually seeing that sometimes you can outlast them and, and really come to the end of them. This knowledge is not available in a book. You cannot get this in a book. And no teacher can give it to you. But we can encourage you to discover this knowledge for yourself. So let's sit for a moment and let the words settle down. Do not try to avoid the objects or experiences of your life, but try to avoid getting entangled in the defilements with them. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. There's time for walking and then the... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.